Hey everybody, this is Ed from the Whiskey Tangent Podcast. I'm here with Scott. Hey everybody. And we're coming to you on Christmas Eve 2020. Ah. The best part about it is it symbolizes the air to this awful fucking year. <laughs> Did you say ear to the year? Just say end of the wonderful year. I didn't mean to mess you up. No, it's fine. <laughs> um, wh- why should this go smooth? Nothing else has gone smooth in 2020. <laughs> so, oh, but it's Christmas Eve, and um, I'm excited. We're looking for the end of this terrible fucking year. Yes. Scott and I, through some you know different formats and tribulations and trials, have decided that it might be nice just to spend Christmas Eve with you, just the two of us. Mm, just and as it, it was. Yes, in the very beginning when <laughs> nobody else wanted to be on the podcast. Right. Before we had all these guests and five-time hosts and interviews with big-time famous people. Yes, we're very big for our britches right now. Oh, my God. We've got a lot of accolades. You know, once again, Whiskey Advocate giving us a shout-out has really helped our profile. And I think that we're doing some of our best work. So I thank Scott, as always, as we end this calendar year Mm. for all the work that he's done. And as we come at you on this Christmas Eve, we want to maybe suggest something where you could run out in the morning tomorrow and get a special spirit to get you in the spirit, if you will, for the holidays. See what you did there. Yeah, that's right, Ed. So I looked up whiskeys that taste like Christmas. Mm. And one of the ones that popped up was the one we did last year, actually, the Midwinter Night's Dram, right. um, which we enjoyed. We had a great I origin s- story about I that. I sipped on some of that last week. For that yeah, last you, you finished mine. Thank you. Oh, yeah, I did finish that. Sorry about that. <laughs> and um, oh, so sorry, my bad. Also, this one, the one we're featuring tonight and doing a quick taste, the Arbor Lore Abuna. <laughs> Whiskey Shore. Yeah, it's a, a space side single malt scotch. Whiskey. Correct. I know you. I know it very well. Yeah. Because you showed it to me. <laughs> <laughs> it is uh, correct. That is, that is what it is. It's finished in first fill Spanish Oloroso sherry butts. Hmm. Mm-hmm. I, I filled a butter too in my day. <laughs> Spanish sherry butts. There is no age statement, but they are whiskeys that age in a range from five to 25 years. Okay. Mashbill, of course, is 100% malted barley, and it is cask strength, so it varies, but this one is 119.6 proof. Yes, it is. I mean, you don't see many, or at least, I don't know, scotches don't really have the reputation as being cast strength. You see a lot of cast strength fries and bourbons and stuff like that, but scotches, not so much. An interesting fact, in Australia, this is the highest whiskey that you can import in. Australia doesn't allow any whiskey over 120 proof. Oh, interesting. And each proof you go up is higher tax. So this bottle, because it's almost 120, yeah. would be probably $100 more than it is in this country. I learned that last night. I was talking to um, Adrian and Phil, who are the owners of the Riverview in Burlington, and uh, they have a very nice bar there. (laughs) So if you're in Burlington, New Jersey, and you like to get a good meal and some great whiskey, go to the Riverview. Oh, nice. Nice pub. And um, they deserve it. They have a great place. And he uh, taught me a lot about Australian whiskey. So that's my little tangent on Australia today. Yeah, adding another $100 on top of this. I mean, this was 90 Right. Which I think is fine because in March 2020, Forbes magazine declared it the best whiskey in the world. I can't believe you found a bottle for under $300 after that. Yeah. On the heels of its late 2019 double gold win at the International Wine and Spirits Competition where it scored 99 points out of 100. Wow. And best cast strength scotch. The judges described it as having a wonderfully sweet, fruity, floral, and perfumed set of aromas that really get the juices flowing. There's sumptuous honey and complex nutty notes along with heavy leather, treacle, cola, 
and spice. Ginger and creamy vanilla custard top things off in this great whiskey. That's amazing. And I should tell you that I had my palate properly prepared with some Castranth Redbreast mm-hmm. Irish whiskey from Doug from the local lounge. And Scott and I split that. Right. So we're drinking some Castranth Irish whiskey right now to get our mouth all ready. I'm going to splash some water in there to clean the palate. And then we're going to take a look at what we're supposed to taste, what we smell, and all that good stuff. Yeah. So uh, right before we do that, I have a one paragraph of the history sure. about this uh, Scott. The word abuna, if you say it with a Scottish accent, it's a boner. It sounds like you have a boner. I got a boner. <laughs> no, nothing. I don't Crickets. have a boner. No, I, have, I mean, I, I just, I don't know what to say to that. Um, I, I mean, people who listened last week know that you had a boner last week, so. We've gone off on a lot of tangents. And That's why it's the whiskey tangent. It is, and we have we Hence. have one more drink to do. Oh my do. god, we do have oh, another drink. Wow, That's we right. have another drink, and I have a really good hard on. <laughs> oh god! Oh my god! <laughs> this, this is a family broadcast. Oh my god! Since when? Oh my god! No, it's not. It's not. Oh, you're not wrong. Right, so the word abona is Gaelic for the original, and its use as the name for a scotch was inspired by the discovery in 1975 of a time capsule found during the installation of a second set of stills at the distillery in Arbor Scotland. Wow. In the time capsule was a bottle of Arbor scotch wrapped in a newspaper from 1898. Ooh. On which was printed an article about the new distillery just having been rebuilt after the fire earlier that year. Well, what a shock, a distillery fire. <laughs> We've done a lot of histories to distilleries on the podcast, yeah. and I mean dozens. And yep. we have yet to find one distillery that can be around for 60 years without burning to the ground. And if you ever hear one, oh, it's been around for 110 years, it's burned down three times, I guarantee you. <laughs> well, they're made of wood, and they store alcohol. It, they're just begging to be set on fire. And I mean, I understand that. It's like my friend who rides a motorcycle is like, it's not if you go down when you ride a motorcycle, oh, it's when you go down. Yeah. So like, if you own a distillery, it's not if it burns to the ground, but it's when it burns to the ground. Right. And the fires must be epic, right? When like one of these, when like you have six or seven rickhouses going up. Oh, oh my shit. God. Yeah. All that alcohol. It's like when a refinery goes up. Same sort of thing. Right. Yeah. All that. Somehow that upsets me less. <laughs> oh, yeah. We can't drink right. gasoline. Or you could. You, you die. I'd rather have my gas prices go up than my whiskey prices, even though that's completely illogical because I use a lot more gas than whiskey. Well, it's actually getting pretty close to yeah. COVID. I drive a lot less and i drink a lot more we're almost even steven at this point i know i I bought a car in january of this year and i have maybe two thousand miles on it (laughs) in the entire year and you think about it my gas is like 230 a gallon my whiskey's like 75 a gallon or something It's true. It's true. It's very true. Um, so where was I? Oh, after the fire, right? So, <laughs> right. Yeah. Back to the. Uh, so after they rebuilt to, it for the third time. Back to the it. one paragraph history that I said like three sentences. Okay. Uh, as the story goes, the workmen who discovered the time capsule finished off most of it during their lunch break before clearer heads prevailed. Eventually, what remained of the bottle was sent to a lab for analysis, and some years later, in 1997, Arbor finally launched a Boonet an attempt to recreate the style of whiskey that was found that day in a time capsule from the late 19th century. Wow. 
What a bunch of assholes those guys were. <laughs> I drink, know, right? To drink like probably a $5,000 bottle of scotch on their lunch hour. Honestly, though, if you got a bottle of whiskey that came out of the ground, it was wrapped in a newspaper from 1898, you just open it up and start drinking I it? I mean, first of all, there could be impurities that make it toxic, right? It's alcohol. We know that if you get the wrong type of alcohol, you can go blind. Right. And so they're True. stupid on so many levels, whoever these guys are. But once again, they're certainly not the stupidest people I've read about this year. That's for sure. Election. Anyway, <laughs> um, so that's it. That's the history of Abuna. They make one to six batches every year. So this ends up being batch number 67. Wow. So we're going to try it. Space Eyed Single Malt Scotch Whiskey. Mm. Abuna. Abuna. Smell is, it's actually very fruity and sweet. Mm-hmm. Maybe a little cherry. You get that definitely spicy notes from the uh, yeah. barley. Oh. Yeah, light, fruity, floral notes. Man, it's it's got a really good smell. All right, I'm gonna go for the uh, the taste. We're drinking this neat in a uh, a neat glass. Hmm. Oh wow, it's good. Wow. God <laughs> damn, that's good. You re- holy crap! It really bursts on your tongue. The proof is there, but it is incredibly smooth for 120, like 119 and change. There's so much flavor. Man, it's so They're- sweet, and yet it's not overly sweet. It's no. Just- like almost like a burnt vanilla almost comes in in the beginning and then it just kind of like sweeps away in the middle with some floral and like fruit and dark fruit notes and then there's just pepper on the finish to me it's immediately sweet like a bourbon is Mm -hmm. but then right after that you're getting the scotch you're getting all that barley oh yeah god the spice it's so spicy so good and then you get a bunch of um about like baking spices you get some cinnamon and some nutmeg and some clove yeah the, that must be what they meant when they said that this whiskey tastes like christmas this is the best scotch i've ever tried no doubt and that doesn't mean a lot coming from me because i'm certainly not a scotch expert right um, we're not i'm not um i would say my favorite scotch before this was the one-off haley's comet that jeff mm. brought on that was from 1986 that had the blend of 13 different scotches and that was the best tasty one i've ever had that was a lower proof right that was only 86 yeah i would like this better for that reason because i can self-proof it a bit and get it down yeah and, i would take this down to about 107 105 yeah I think. and part of the intensity of this is it's 119 proof Mm-hmm. But there's so much flavor to go with it. It's certainly not one note. I just put in five drops of distilled water and it really opened up some flavors. Just a little bit. You really don't want to put a lot in there. I'm going to take another sip because mm-hmm. it's hard for me to explain to you how good this is. Mm-hmm. Oh my God. The cherry is so there now. Yeah, that's the, what I'm saying. Now the finish is not just spice and pepper. There's a sweet cherry finish mixed in with the, the spice. Yeah, when you put the water on it, it brings out the fruit notes. Ooh, this is really good. Yeah, so listen, if you're a person that searches out unique spirits and you like scotch, or you're a scotch guy who loves some space-side scotches, this is for you. Yeah. Times 10. This is something that is worth the price. This is better to me than the Midwinters. I oh. love the Midwinters, but this is Oh, this is tremendous. far more complex than that. Yeah. And, and that's, a com- that's a complex, nice little whiskey. You know it's one of my favorites. Mm-hmm. So- like I said, you can't go wrong with getting it. And trust me, you deserve a Christmas present to yourself. Yeah. So Merry Christmas, Ed, and to me. Also. And Merry Christmas, Scott. <laughs> yes. Um, so now we're going to do a couple Christmas stories. Yes. Um, so I have a really cool Christmas story, and Ed wrote a Christmas poem. I did. That we will finish off the podcast with. Yes. Um, my story is West Point's Christmas Eggnog Riot, or How Whiskey Almost Prevented the Civil War. 
Oh. This is an interesting story. Yeah, I can't wait. Yeah. I'm a history guy. You know that. Yeah. So this is from an article in the Smithsonian Magazine called Eggnog. It's all fun and games until somebody starts a holiday riot by Natasha Galing. All right. December 25th, 1826 at West Point was not a typical Christmas morning. Cadets stumbled from their barracks, clothes torn and askew. Many were barefoot, some cursing, some bleeding, and some still drunk from the night before. Behind them, the North Barracks stood in a state of ruin. Windows and furniture had been smashed. Banisters had been ripped from stairways. Shards of shattered plates, dishes, and cups littered the ground. There had been a riot at West Point. A riot caused by eggnog. Mm. During the years following its founding in 1802, West Point hardly resembled the highly revered institution that exists today. Admission standards were lax, Students could be rolled at any point during the year, and drinking alcohol was a significant part of campus culture. As it was when I was in college, (laughs) surprisingly. Me too. And at Christmas, eggnog was a traditional part of West Point's annual celebrations. At this point in time, eggnog had become incredibly popular all over America. In fact, George Washington even had a famous recipe for the drink that included rum, sherry, brandy, and whiskey for an extra kick. However, in 1826, West Point's superintendent, Colonel Sylvanus Thayer, banned alcohol in school grounds, and his moratorium threw a significantly sized wrench in the cadets' plans for their Christmas Eve festivities. What a dick. Yeah, but they were not to be denied a night of revelry, and a few of them conspired to smuggle in whiskey from a nearby tavern. Mm-hmm. One of these cadets was the future president of the Confederacy during the U.S. Civil War, Jefferson Davis. In fact, Davis had a history of bad behavior with alcohol. As a member of the class of 1828, he was the first student ever to be arrested for going to Benny Haven, one of the two taverns located near West Point, and the only one which allowed students to barter for alcohol. Interesting side note, Benny Haven was where Edgar Allan Poe reportedly spent most of the time that he attended West Point, which may explain his dismissal from the academy after only one year. How did I not know that Edgar Allan Poe attended West Point? I know, right? Uh, Benny Haven, though, it should be noted, didn't end up selling any liquor to the cadets. Wait, I love Benny Haven. Like They come and they cook at your table with all like the fried rice, and he tosses the egg up in his hat. Benny Haven is such a great like birthday dinner place. It's Benny Hanna. Oh, shit. I'm sorry. Yeah, Benny, Benny Hanna. Hanna. Yeah. Like, okay, go ahead. Yeah, Benny Haven. Sorry. <laughs> I thought you were going to go with Benny Hill. I, I thought that's where you were going to go. They <laughs> can't see me do the stupid salute. On, on, that's why. <laughs> Benny Haven, though, it should be noted, didn't end up selling liquor to any of the cadets as oh. their prices were deemed too high. <sighs> but the prices at the other establishment, Martin's Tavern, were cheaper. In total, they smuggled in four gallons of whiskey and the game was afoot. That's a lot of whiskey. Yeah. Colonel Thayer suspected that there might be alcohol-related shenanigans for the holiday party, but ended up taking just the normal precautions that night, assigning only two officers to the North Barracks, who went to bed around midnight with no trouble to report. But that all changed around 4 a.m. when one of the officers, Captain Ethan Hitchcock, was awakened by the sounds of partying on the floor above him. He went to investigate and found seven cadets drinking eggnog and in an exceedingly drunken state. As he was ordering them back to their rooms, he had heard a second party next door where he found two intoxicated cadets hiding beneath a blanket and a third who was so drunk he refused to remove the hat that he was using to conceal his face. When Hitchcock demanded that they show themselves, they argued and things got tense. After he left, the three cadets seethed with anger, drank more, with one of them ultimately declaring, get your dirks and bayonets and pistols if you have them. Before this night is over, Hitchcock will be dead. Wow. And thus began the eggnog riot 
Three floors below, the other officer who had been on duty, William A. Thornton, had woken to the sounds of another rowdier party and went to investigate. But a few of the cadets who had been ordered back to their rooms by Hitchcock happened to be in the hallway outside of his room. A pistol was brandished, and Thornton was knocked out cold. Meanwhile, Hitchcock returned to his room. Several cadets had followed, broke down his door, and one actually drew his pistol and fired a shot into the room which is when Hitchcock finally had enough. Enlisting the help of other students and officers who had been woken up by all the commotion, he began arresting cadets. By the time Reveille sounded at 6.05 a.m., there was still sporadic gunfire and sounds of glass breaking, with audible threats being made to Academy officials. But with all of the officers and the cadets now waking up to what had happened, order was quickly restored and the eggnog riot was over. Mm. Luckily, no one was killed, but several officers were assaulted, and the North Barracks building was rendered so completely beyond repair that it had to be demolished. Overall, wow. no, yeah, overall, 90 of the Academy's 260 cadets ended up taking part in the mayhem, but Colonel Thayer chose to target only the worst offenders, and only 19 cadets were eventually expelled. Jefferson Davis, though, was not one of the 19, because even though he was one of the cadets who actually brought the whiskey onto school grounds, he was able to evade the charges because at some point during the night, when he and the other cadets were told to return to the rooms, they actually did. And among those other fellow classmates, the future Confederate General Robert E. Lee. Mm. Today, the story of West Point's eggnog riot is largely unknown, and the debased holiday parties are a thing of the past. And when the school does throw parties, any alcohol is available only in limited quantities. So the odds of another occurrence of rowdy cadets drinking too much of the good stuff will remain the stuff of legend. Well, that's a crazy Christmas Eve story. <laughs> the reason why I said that it almost prevented the Civil War is if they had been expelled, right. they wouldn't be in the army. And then 40 years later, right. they Confederacy probably wouldn't army. have had the same positions. Very true. In fact, Robert E. Lee eventually, before the war, becomes the superintendent of West Point. Right. And it took place on Christmas Eve. So I thought that was appropriate. Yeah, Christmas Eve. And it was eggnog. 90, it's whiskey. Well, 194 years ago. That makes sense. So Ed um, wrote a poem. I did. I did. I was motivated. <clears throat> This is my Christmas Eve poem for everybody. <laughs> Twas a night before Christmas with me in my house, carefully stirring the proper amounts of <laughs> rye and vermouth, bitters added with care, wondering how soon St. Nick would be there. My bottles all nestled, all snug on their shelf. I stopped to admire my barrel-aged wealth. <laughs> There's ten years and twelve years and some that are blends, and some so special shared only with friends. Me. There are cast-strength expressions proofed 125, and some proofed at 80 when I need to drive. <laughs> they come from Scotland, Kentucky, and even Japan. My beautiful shelf is a whiskey UN. I grab the best and I pour out a nice dram. It's set by the cookies in honor of him. Outside with a clatter, he's finally here. His bag filled to the rim with holiday cheer. He burst in a smile and he picked up his dram. You should be asleep, you naughty young man. I couldn't help it, Santa, I said with a grin, as I hefted my drink and I toasted to him. This trip that you do, it's a wonderful thing. Now tell me, oh tell me, what did you bring? He reached in the sack while giving his grin. I brought you so much, where should I begin? There's Bellmead and Redemption and George Dickle Rye and Tin Cup and Pinhook and the West that is high. Ha. There's Templeton and Pritchard, and Bullet Rye too. All of these spirits I've brought here for you. I saw the angel in your eye that Scott likes the best. <laughs> Whistlepig and Widow Jane soon filled out the rest. He slipped the James Pepper in the stocking of Gabe. Little bitch Santa cried as he left turning away. 
As he turned the side of the sack, I could see oh. in three large gold printed letters read MGP. Mm. I heard him exclaim as he drove out of sight, Merry Christmas to all and to all a good night. <laughs> <laughs> very nice very merry nice. christmas everybody <laughs> and, and a really happy good. new year even sound strangely cast shade on gabe it's amazing yeah it, it's it's interesting <laughs> <laughs> that you wrote santa to say those things about gabe james pepper bourbon is the equivalent of whiskey coal <laughs> so anyway everybody we hope you'll have a great holiday and that you're able to gather with your immediate family and, and share some holiday cheer. By all means, if you're a whiskey drinker, get yourself a dram of something nice. You've earned it. Consider and the Abuna if you're a scotch drinker. You won't be disappointed. And as we come to the end of 2020, we have to glass to you all from the Whiskey Tangent Podcast. I'm Ed. I'm Scott. Cheers, everybody. Merry Christmas. <laughs>